We're back. It's the Total Water Polo Podcast. And if you've listened to this in the past, and thank you very much for that, by the way, you may remember me saying something about this being a weekly effort, but obviously that's not the case. So let's just say we'll try to put a push a new uh, podcast out there at least once a month, if not more often. And if you're interested in hearing from someone in the water polo community, just email TotalWaterPolo at gmail.com and we'll give it a try. Now my conversation with one of the undersung stars of the U.S. national teams, Melissa Seidemann. And in my opinion, she doesn't get enough publicity, uh, even though she's one of the most dominant players really in the world and not only in the States. So here she is, Melissa Seidemann. Today, one of the most accomplished water polo athletes in U.S. history, a two-time Olympic gold medalist and Contino Award winner while starring for national champion Stanford. She recently took the reins at one of the most prestigious high school programs in the entire country at Corona Del Mar High School. It's Melissa Seidemann via, via Zoom from Southern California. Thank you so much for your time today. Hi, thank you for having me. Our pleasure. So um, let's get to the sort of nuts and bolts of it first. You took the Corona Del Mar job in September. Um, what is it that your team is currently doing? Uh, and what is your best understanding of what the season may look like uh, whenever that might start? Yeah. So taking the job, you know, there's a, a club program that runs concurrently to the high school program. So that's been pretty awesome because I've been able to um, kind of mesh the two. And so we're really operating under CDM club polo parameters right now um, with some high school sprinkled in between. Um, it's all non-contact. It's, mm. you know, we moved from phase one to phase two where we progressed to be able to pass and shoot. So that was a big step and super fun for the girls, but, um, looking forward, we're just taking it day by day and we're hopeful that, you know, things haven't been shut down yet, but we haven't been given the official go ahead to, to move forward with contact either. So it's kind of a standstill right now. So it, uh, I'm assuming what, what you're saying, I think is that there's a difference between if you were to practice as the high school team versus the club. So the club has a, it sounds to me like a bit more leeway with the facility. Do I have that right? Um, you know, the restrictions are the same mm. in terms of what we are and aren't allowed to do. Um, practicing as a club just gives me more freedom to create different hours. Sure. Um, if you will. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that so, makes sense. Yeah. And the, and your student athletes are there, how many, are they going to campus at all? Or is it all off campus at this point? Yeah. So when I took the job, it was all remote learning and they had a plan to take it on campus in a hybrid model. Um, and that got pushed back about a month, but they did, I think, uh, I want to say November, something in that first week, they took a hybrid model. So the kids are on campus, um, two mornings a week and the rest of it is uh, distance learning. Got it. They're okay. Two, two cohorts and they kind of, they, they go back and forth. Fair enough. Okay. I'm, I'm curious about these things because they're so different across the whole country. And uh, I'm in Texas, you're in California. Things are quite a right. bit different between the two places. And even within California, it sounds to me like it's wildly different from North to South and East to West and so on. So um, I'm obviously very curious about that. Yeah. Um, you have been working at SoCal for some time as a, as a coach. The last I saw it was listed as you're the 14 and under girls head coach. Was a job like Corona Del Mar or some other high school job always on your radar? Yeah, I think it's safe to say it, it was. Yeah. 
Corona Del Mar in particular, or is it a, just an opportunity that came about that was uh, too good to pass? Um, no, uh, an opportunity that came up that was, yeah, too good to pass. You know, I, I think I've kind of settled in Southern California. So, um, I, there's been some interest in having me come to different high school programs. And I really wanted to wait until my athletic career was over before I pursued that opportunity. So I could give myself a little grace period in you know, leaving the competitive world and entering a new competitive world. Um, but this this opportunity presented itself, and given how things are going right now, I just I thought I had to take advantage of it. So uh-huh. well, you you just brought up something that I wasn't going to talk about yet, but I think is important, which is which is um, I'll just put it the way that USA Water Polo put it, which was you're, you're the oldest member of the women's national team, and so nobody is encouraging you to retire yet. But obviously, at some point, you're going to stop. Um, I'm, a, we're, I'm assuming that you are interested in playing in this next Olympic Games. Am I wrong about that? No, you're not wrong. Uh, that's the, the plan. And, um, you know, in interviewing for the CDM job, it came up in conversation. How would I handle and how would I balance? And um, th- there's a ton of support in the community from people I don't even know yet, you know, and people I've just met. Um, but I also have had some other support that kind of said, you know, if you want to do both, we're going to make this work for you and we'll, we'll figure out a way to make it happen. So I, I plan to play, I plan to train and and try to compete in 2020, 2021, whatever yeah. we're calling it now. Right. So yeah, that's the goal. Um, you know, the, 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 there's so many players who are really modest and they always say, if I make the team and it seems to me, see, I'm not you. I can say you're going to make the team. You're going to be on that team. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but I know that that'll be the case. What do you know? Um, I, I like to check in every once in a while just like what people know about what's going to happen next, because it changes month to month, week to week. So what's the, are you training with the U S women's national team now? How often? And then what are you being told about what you know, is going to happen with Tokyo? Yeah. Um, I, this is all from my perspective. So it's, you know, there's a ton of different sources that are providing information, but um, we are training currently. So that's awesome. Um, We came back on June 1st and we took a period, you know, the June to August. And we took that period and we were just conditioning um, non-contact completely fundamental skill work, um, that kind of thing. And it was very limited compared to our typical schedule. Um, And then we came back in September and it's slightly modified from what a like traditional national team schedule is, but we are practicing five days a week. Um, And, Mm. you know, we're taking the necessary testing precautions and only if we have like full negative results, are we moving forward with contact at different portions of the week? So um, just slightly modified from our original schedule, which is typically four days a week, we go double days and then two days a week we go singles. Um, so I think we've cut, uh, let's see, well, we've only cut two practices off of that, but, um, yeah, we're, you know, taking the necessary steps to make sure that we're separate when we need to be separate and then come together when everybody's negative. So I'm curious whether you know any of this, but, uh, are you aware of how other national teams are training and how they might be different or how much more contact they're having? You know what I mean? So I, I don't actually know the answer to that question. Yeah. And uh, to be honest, I don't actually know details to the answer to your question. I know that professional leagues in Europe are playing and most, if not all um, national team athletes from foreign countries are on one of those professional teams. So you imagine that they're playing with full contact and it's kind of a full go unless, you know, you've, I've heard of a few postponements and whatnot. 
Um, and I also know that the Olympic qualifier that's coming up is still planned as a full go. So you have to assume that those teams that are participating in the qualifier are, are at a hundred percent. So what that actually looks like in details, Mm -hmm. I I don't know, but. Fair enough. Uh, are you, do you have any thoughts about the potential, which is that you could be playing these games and and these gigantic auditoriums and so on in, in Tokyo with zero fans? Um, what's the question? Yeah. I well, think yeah. Yes, the- and, <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to think about. And, um, honestly for myself, given that, um, I've been fortunate enough to compete before that's a, a bonus to what actually comes out of the games. And, and I know that, but for my teammates who are going through it the first time, you know, that's the, those are who I feel sad for because the fans really make the experience, you know, they bring energy to the stadium. They inspire us and, um, they make it worthwhile. So I hope that there is some, I hope something works itself out that their stands aren't completely empty. You know, this is a question that was completely on top of mind and a couple months ago, because it just seemed like that was going to be the case, but given the news of the vaccines and so on, it seems a little more hopeful. So I'm, I'm, I wanted to pose that question in a sort of catastrophic way. Like this would be the worst possible thing, but it sounds to me like it's potentially you could, uh, it could be, yeah. it could have, it could have fans. So, yeah. so you're getting tested on a regular basis already. Um, is it, is that any different than, or, or is that a regimen that uh, is unique to your team? As far as you know, I mean, is are your high school or your club kids, are they required to get tested? Um, no. So um, yeah, I don't really know how much of it is like, what I know is that our protocol was created by us. So we put in place with the experts that we have on our team. Um, we put in place protocol that we feel comfortable is, you know, abiding by all county, all state, all those types of restrictions. And then on top of that, you know, there's certain things that we're doing to um, make sure that we're safe as far as much as I know it, it extends to our team and everyone else is creating their own protocol. So got it. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned Europe. Now you you spent at least one season in Spain playing. Uh, is do you have any other interest in doing that again, or are you? you, you I know you're in school in Southern California, so like you're studying for your master's degree, which is uh, not conducive to playing European water polo. But I didn't know whether that was uh, an, it, that was your intention all along was to play for. I think it was one year. Is that right at Sabadell? Yeah. I played a full year where I lived um, in Sabre outside of Barcelona. Um, And then I actually played for the same team a second year, but I only flew back for Champions Cup games. So it was more of like a week and a half um, once a month or every two months, depending on how that schedule worked itself out. So um, no, I don't plan to go back. (laughs) Wonderful people. And uh, they really took me in and made me feel like I was at home and um, gave me a family to be a part of. But um, I feel most comfortable when I'm here <laughs> in the States. <laughs> we noted it because we did talk about how you've been in Southern California a while. You're an East Bay, Northern, Northern California product. And, and as a matter of fact, what's noticeable is that you were born in Chicago, essentially, or in the outskirts. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I was. Any yeah. Illinois pride remaining in your family or you were too uh, young when you moved to California? <laughs> yes and no. My um, my mom and my dad were born in Madison and Milwaukee. Okay. So our, our roots are really in Wisconsin. Um, and then my dad went to law school in Boston. My older sister was born, moved to Chicago for his first job. That's where I was born and then found themselves traveling out to California. And that's where we stayed. So Chicago, yes, I, I'm, I'm proud to claim it. Midwest more, but 
my parents are really, you know, they love Wisconsin. So. <laughs> yeah, and you're knee deep in California now too. So that yeah. makes perfect sense. We've reached the end of the first half of our conversation today and we'll return in just a moment. All of Total Water Polo is brought to you advertising free and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to totalwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can continue to cover the sport we all love in the United States and beyond. And now part two of today's conversation. Um, I wanted to go back real quick because I'm always interested in how Americans uh, are basically incorporated into European uh, teams. So 2012 Olympics are over. I think your first season in Sabadei was in 2014. If not, it was close to that. Is it you that goes out and contacts teams and says, I'm interested in playing? Is it them coming to you because they notice you are an Olympian and a very good one? How does that work? Um, yeah, I think, you know, for everybody listening, I think that it's important that there's, you can do it in any different way. So we've had teams or athletes on our team who have gone out and found their own contracts. I got really lucky that, um, Adam wanted me to play abroad. So he really helped facilitate that relationship and, uh, made sure he found a good team for me where he knew I was going to be taken care of. So, um, Adam helped me with that, but I think that there's definitely a balance, you know, because especially coming in as a high school coach and I spent a little time at UCI as well, coaching college. Um, it's a really great option for a lot of girls who are not ready to stop playing, um, and they don't know how to go about finding those opportunities. So it works both ways. I, the coaches are definitely reaching out and looking for high level collegiate athletes as well. But if it's something that you're interested in, you know, you just go online and find their contact and send them a message. And um, from there, it kind of the word spreads. Once you're interested, it's really easy to find other opportunities. So. Very cool. Yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of it that it's word of mouth. That makes sense. Yeah. And especially on the men's side, you've got Dayon who has all of these uh, relationships yeah. with teams over there. Um, and I'm sure Adam as well. Uh, so yeah, this, it, I, I've heard it goes both ways. And I, I assume that it is based on your reputation and those that you, you that you've uh, actually excelled at an international level in the first place. But then there are plenty of others who haven't made, let's say, the national team who are also really uh, uh, yeah. in demand, really, in Europe. It sounds to me like that's the case. Yeah, it's very position based, too. You know, I, mm. I know goalies have a, a lot tougher time finding contracts. Um, in Europe, even, um, you know, really high, even our national team goalies sometimes have trouble finding those contacts because it's limited in that. Whereas if you're a utility going over there, it's a lot easier to make a connection and, you know, network your way into a couple of different contracts. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely okay. in demand. Okay. You just use the U word, which is utility, which is a <laughs> term uh, that is, uh, I can say this. In fact, I had this conversation yesterday at ODP about how overused that term is. But if there's someone on the women's side that you could say is a utility player, it's you in the sense that you are a defender and a very effective one. You, then you're a shooter at the, at three, but you can and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me over the course of your career that you've gone to post up more often, sort of an offensive threat in front of the cage, more so than you used to. So are you the team's utility player? Um, currently, I'm the team's center. So <laughs> currently, I'm backup to Aria Fisher. But um, yeah, I, you know, 
in my path is fun to talk about with um, younger kids because uh, I always thought I was a center and I had that, you know, in high school, I played with my sister and we did in Northern California, we kind of did what we wanted, you know? Um, but then going to college, I thought I was a center. And that was the same time when Adam said, I want you to come train with the national team. Here's your opportunity. And so I started doing it and he explained to me, well, your opportunity is as a defender. And I said, uh, well, okay, I guess that is what it is, you know? And so it's, yeah, it's interesting that you bring that conversation up because come full circle and Cami Craig retired and I was still playing and I thought, well, Adam's like, that's, that's what we need you to do now. So, um, a utility. Yeah. It's, it's a little <laughs> bit overused, like you said, and it's a very like general blanket term for what a, a player could be. Um, and personally, the way I kind of look at it is what does my team need and, and how can I give, whether it's in a game or over the course of a season or a quad, you know, it's, it's what, what does the team need and how can I be that person for the team? So you, before we started chatting here and recording, I asked you about, it seems to me that you fly a little bit under the radar and I don't mean that as a pejorative. It just means that it seems like you're a fairly modest person, even though you've had a, a truly excellent career so far. Um, are you too modest to tell me that you're a team leader? Because again, you're the oldest member. I mean, I don't want to, boy, do I not want to harp on that? That does not sound <laughs> right, but, but it also implies experience and which is true. You've been playing with the national team in one way or another since Oh nine. Is that right? Ish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so does, is that a role that you fill and one that you actually want to? Um, that's a, that's a really good question and super loaded as well. I think, <laughs> um, you know, I think for my teammates and those who know me, um, I have a personality that, um, I have a very big personality. So people tend to follow me, whether it's good or bad. Um, so it's actually been a, a road for me to kind of understand that influence that I have on a group of people. Um, I am more than happy to step up and be a leader when that's necessary. But um, one thing that I share with Adam and um, I know that he tries to bring to the team is just the vision of shared leadership and everybody having, you know, a unique role and contribution to how we can really make the team our own and lead ourselves. Um, so I'm not too modest to say that I have, I have that role and I have that responsibility on the team. Um, and I'm proud to take it when the time arises, but I'm, I, I've also learned that it's just as necessary to step back and give other people that opportunity. So, um, yeah, but it's been a journey. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me go back quickly. I, well, I don't know if this is a subject that's quickly. 2012. Um, and so I had a conversation with Brenda Villa some time ago about the difference between 08 and 012. You weren't a member of the 08 national team uh, mm -hmm. that uh, earned silver. But it's, it seemed to me that there's just this enormous weight that was lifted off of everybody's shoulders in 2012. You tell me whether that's wrong. I mean, because it sounds like a... Because frankly... You dominated the Spanish. It was a, it was a, it was not terribly close as a very young team also at the, at the time. But I don't know whether maybe the um, the emotions were even heightened because the expectations had been so high on this team for so long. Yeah, um, I don't really know the answer to that question. To be honest, I, I think that. I'd be curious to go back and interview all of my 2012 teammates from that year, because it was kind of the perfect storm. You know, we hit a few roadblocks um, about a year prior and 
we were really struggling to, to find that like unifying piece. Um, and maybe it was what you're talking about. Maybe it was kind of a, a weight that was lifted. Um, I know for myself personally, I didn't go into the 2012 games with those expectations hanging over my head. Um, I felt like we had prepared to the very best that we could. Um, and that was, that was like the prevailing kind of sentiment as we entered those games is that we're here, we're ready to go. All we have to do is do, do our job, you know? Um, but yeah, I do, I do know I have listened to stories from 2008 and I do know that, um, it was a bit more stressful um, for those girls. So uh, I didn't feel that in 2012, but yeah. What were the roadblocks? If you want to talk about those the, oh, the we year just, prior. Yeah. I, you know, we just, we had a, we had a rookie group. We had a super young group and we had an old veteran group that was there in 2008, you know, and, and they had expectations for how things were going to run. Mm. And Adam kind of came in and mixed things up and said, you know, I want those young kids to have the same voice that, you guys do as, as an older group. And so we kind of, um, it was just, it wasn't like, well, I guess it was challenging, but it was a challenge to try and, um, kind of mix that idea and give, you know, Maggie Steffens, the 18 year old, the same voice that Brenda V had when that was, she's playing in her four time, you know, her fourth yeah. Olympic game. So I think that's where it really stemmed from was just trying to find that balance from everybody having a voice, everyone feeling heard and contributing in the same way. So how interesting. I mean, because um, the team dynamics are obviously important on any team that you have. And that this is not an unusual story that there might be like a generational shift on a particular team. Yeah. Um, but it's something that you actually worked through to your benefit. I mean, that's the way yeah. that's the impression that I get. Right. Okay. Um, let me uh, we're going to uh, wind up here. But you mentioned your sister, um, <laughs> your young, your younger sister is Natalie. Is that right? Correct. And so Natalie is the head coach at J Sarah, which is right over there, right down the road. <laughs> so, you know, and I know the season is uh, up in the air about how this is going to work, but at least in theory, you know, you know how these tournaments work. There's a very good chance that you're going to play against her team. Is that something that you actually look forward to? Or are you just rather avoid it altogether? We schedule the game. You're is that playing right? Okay. An off season. I have a, a game schedule with them. I think, you know, she, she started coaching high school. My older sister, um, actually coaches for our alma mater in the East Bay. So, right. um, it's actually really cool to just hear the different perspectives. Cause we kind of are in three different, very different school systems, if you will. Um, but it was cool. She took the job before I was done playing and it's been awesome to uh, watch and support her, try and navigate that because it's really a, a program that's smaller and has on the girl side at least had less but has the potential to you know be really great so um yeah we have a game scheduled hopefully I can help her <laughs> you know I don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> well help her to a certain extent I expect yeah. right yeah I'm yeah. sure that sibling sibling rivalry is real and you're close enough to her but you still want to win the game you know so yeah. that's that's the way it goes <laughs> you're going to travel to northern california to play against your alma mater and remind everybody where you went to high school by the way um i went to college park high school mm -hmm. in pleasant hill california and uh no, no plans on heading up there to for a one for a game against your other sister well um <laughs> hopefully in the future you know i'd love to but uh now what's going to happen. I don't know. We're not supposed to travel at all right. um, during the season. And then also the season in Northern California is 
typically different than the season in Southern California. So yeah, it sure is. So that would present a challenge. But I should have known that. I lived in Northern California for a long time. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it is actually one of the shames. Actually, maybe you have an opinion about this because um, you're from Northern California. You have experience in Southern. Should the team should the seasons be unified? Yeah, um, I have a like social opinion, but I don't have a strong opinion because I don't really know why they're separate. So. Um, I'd have to understand the the logic behind that before I could say it was wrong, but I, to grow the sport, it'd be really cool if we could, you know, travel and compete and do all those things at the same time. So I can tell you what I was told in Northern California, which was that it's cold. Like, so the, if you had a fall season, you know, or, or rather the, the opposite, if you had the winter season in Northern California, then, you know, you're putting players in a position where they're going to be cold. I happen to have the opinion that that's should <laughs> that's so that's one factor of many, and so yes, yeah. I'm in favor of unifying the the, the girls' season uh, in yeah. the in the winter and spring. So yes, um, so I want to thank you very much for your time. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. That's it for today. We'll return soon with more of the Total Water Polo Podcast. But thank you for listening and telling a friend about us. And of course, subscribe and do all that podcasty stuff on most of the biggest uh, distribution channels. Also, go to TotalWaterPolo.com forward slash give to help us remain advertising free. And while you're there, go check out our collection of Total Water Polo and TX Water Polo goodies by clicking gear at the top of the menu. Until next time, so long from Austin, Texas. This has been a production of TWP Sports LLC.